How great is it indeed that God makes new and beautiful things out of us. Um, Please uh, turn your Bibles to uh, Deuteronomy 34. If you hit Joshua, you went a little too far. It's on page 115 it starts. We're going to read verses 1 through the end. Yeah, we're going to read all of chapter 34. So please join with me then and follow along, either on the screen or in the Bible in front of you. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 34, starting in verse 1. Then Moses climbed Mount Nebo from the plains of Moab to the top of Pisgah, across from Jericho. There the Lord showed him the whole land, from Gilead to Dan, all of Naphtali, the territory of Ephraim and Manasseh, all of the land of Judah, as far as the western sea, the Negev and the whole region from the valley of Jericho, the city of Palms as far as Zoar. And the Lord said to him, This is the land I promised on an oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. When I said, I will give it to your descendants, I have let you see it with your eyes, but you will not cross over into it. And Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in Moab, as the Lord had said. He buried him in Moab, the valley opposite of Beth Peor. But to this day, no one knows where his grave is. Moses was 120 years old when he died, yet his eyes were not weak, nor his strength gone. The Israelites grieved for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days, until the time of weeping and mourning was over. Now Joshua, son of Nun, was filled with the spirit of wisdom, because Moses had laid his hands on him. So the Israelites listened to him, and did what the Lord had commanded Moses. Since then, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, who did all those miraculous signs and wonders the Lord sent him to do in Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all of his officials into this whole land. For no one has ever shown the mighty power or performed the awesome deeds that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. This too is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, so tonight, we're in Deuteronomy. We're not in Joshua yet. But in the coming weeks, we're going to spend a, a good amount of time in the book of Joshua. About 12 weeks. First night's tonight. 12 weeks. And uh, Joshua's a very exciting book. We're going to spend 12 weeks talking about hist- history, the historical narrative of Joshua and who he was and what he did. And tonight, we're going to talk about Moses and the transition to Joshua. But we're also going to talk about some of the things that are sort of hard questions, We're going to talk about how some people in the world would say that the book of Joshua is about a genocide, (laughs) that the Israelite people wiped out another people group based on their ethnicity. We're going to talk about things like holy war, about basically people fighting on behalf of their God, one God fighting another God. How do we deal with that? Uh, We're going to talk about leadership. We're going to talk about the greater good. We even get to talk about physics and how Joshua made the sun stand still. What was happening there? It's going to be a lot of fun. But to understand Joshua and his world, to understand who he was and where he came from, we first have to understand Moses. Moses, as we know, was um, the, the, the leader of the Israelite people as they left Egypt. And if you're not as familiar, I'm just going to do a very short overview of Moses so we're all on the same page. He was born a slave in Egypt, uh, one of the Hebrew people who had come to Egypt with Joseph. 
if you remember, Joseph went and, and got a job there, and, and they took him out of prison because he was, so, he was interpreting Pharaoh's dreams, and he predicted a drought. And they saved up all this food, and they saved up all these resources, and then when the drought happened, they had plenty to give. And, and Joseph's brothers came from the land of where Abraham had settled in, 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 Is- in modern-day Israel, in that area, and they came over and they said, we need help. And Egypt, on behalf of Joseph, welcomed the Israelites, welcomed the Hebrew people. They said, yes, come, come. But over time, they became many. And it says, if you read the book of Exodus, it says that they became so many that the, the later pharaohs got really concerned that they were outnumbered. And they began to enslave the Hebrew people. So much so that one of the pharaohs was so scared, he said, we need to stop these people from having babies that we need to kill all the firstborns. And when they wouldn't do that, then he finally said that we need to go through and murder all the firstborns because the midwives aren't getting there fast enough and these people are too fertile and they're, you know, it's, it's, it's a great story. But Moses was one of these babies who was supposed to be killed. And as we know the story is, you know, they put him in the river and Pharaoh's daughter and found him and they raised him in Pharaoh's house. I would like to point out, I think I've pointed this out before, but I always like bringing it up, that one of the reasons, as we talk about Moses and that God was really, really mad at Egypt with the whole plagues and everything, was that the Hebrew people came there as refugees and that the Egyptians enslaved them. It's kind of an interesting thing, but if you look through, it's amazing how specific the Bible can be in in, in modern parallels we can find. That God actually says throughout a lot of the prophets that Christians and believers ought to care for the resident alien and care for the person who has no one to care for them. But so this is why God got so angry and sent Moses. And, and he sends Moses to, to go and to heal and, and free the people. And we know Moses was special. We, we've read the stories. He had the Egypt connection. He was raised in Pharaoh's house. God made it pretty clear with the burning bush that didn't consume, the signs and the wonders and, and, and all the different plagues. And, and God made it very clear that this is what God wanted for him and this is what Moses' calling was. Moses was special. But Joshua, we don't have sort of as much You know, Moses has this great story of how he came to lead the people, and it's wonderful. But then Joshua, as Moses gets older, we find out that Joshua will be his successor. He will follow up. He will take over where Moses is leaving off. You know, how did Joshua get called into leadership? And additionally, maybe even a more important role, not just to get them out of Egypt, but then to lead them into the promised land. And as we'll read in Joshua, I think his job was sometimes even a little bit harder with what he had to deal with. So this text in in Deuteronomy 34 really tells us about that transition, how it starts. It takes place after Moses' final blessing. All of his work is done. He's gone through and said a lot of the famous things, you know, we've heard of. You know, I've set before you life and death, therefore choose life that you and your family may live in Deuteronomy 30. You know, if you have time this week, I'd actually really encourage you, go back and read verse, or chapter 29, 30, 31, 32, 33, the song of Moses, his, his worship and praise to God. He was a mighty man. I really, really like Moses. <laughs> and, but then we have this story. The very end of his life. It says that God took him up to this hill just across the Jordan River, overlooking the land he'd promised him. And he says, here it is. You're on the doorstep. But you don't get to set foot in it. <laughs> In a first reading, it's kind of frustrating. 
Like, that's not really fair. He's been putting up with these people. He's been wandering around the desert for 40 years with these people, whining and complaining about water and food and all of these different things. And he's worked so hard for it. But God says, no, Moses, you're done here. You're going to stop here. And if you're curious about why, um, it says you will not cross over it, and I have let you see it with your eyes, but you will not cross over it. And if you're curious about why, um, you can just jot this down in Numbers chapter 20. Uh, It talks about why Moses and Aaron, because of doubt and because they messed up a little bit, that that God was going to wait for the next generation to enter into the land. But then we see in verses 5 to 8, specifically here, what we're reading is that he dies there. He dies there and that he was 120 years old. And the Israelites grieved in the plains of Moab 30 days until the time of weeping and mourning was over. 30 days. All the people mourned, and rightly so. You know, if this were a movie, Moses would lead across the Jordan River all the people and everything would be happily ever after. But it's not. Moses doesn't get to reach this. Moses doesn't get to go into the promised land. And we could talk about God's plan and the conflict ahead and, and, and why God did this. Moses made some mistakes. But I want to show you that this was, in fact, the plan. Um, if you turn to, your, to the left in your Bible to Numbers 27, uh, this had been set up that it wasn't just an impromptu thing. Hey, there's Joshua. We should make Joshua in in control. Uh, While Moses was still alive, in in Numbers chapter 27, it's on page 89 on the right-hand side, uh, starting in verse 12, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Go up on this mountain in the Abraham range and see that I have given the land to the Israelites. And after you have seen it, you too will be gathered to your people as your brother Aaron was. For the community rebelled in the waters of the desert of Zin. Both of you disobeyed my command to honor me as holy before their eyes. These were in the waters of Meribah Kadesh in the desert of Zin. And then in verse 15, And Moses said to the Lord, May the Lord, the God of the spirits of all mankind, appoint a man over this community to go out and to come in before them, one who will lead them out and bring them in, so the Lord's people will not be like sheep without a shepherd. See, Moses knows he's not going to make it into the promised land. Moses knows because of what's happened, he's not going there. And so his prayer to God is, hey, find someone who's better than me. Find someone who won't mess up the way I did, but will lead them out and take them in like a shepherd at night and take care of them. And so the Lord said to Moses, take Joshua, son of Nun, a man in whom is the Spirit. Lay your hands on him. Have him stand before Eleazar, the priest, and the entire assembly, and commission him in their presence. Give him some of your authority so the whole Israelite community will obey him. Moses knew he wasn't going to enter the promised land. Sometimes if we read these narratives or we read these stories alone, it seems unfair or it seems weird. But when we read the scripture as a whole, we see that God had a very, very specific plan. And, and, and there's two, I think, reasons that are kind of clear. One is that Moses was really tired. You know, Moses was old. He was 80 years old when he went back to Egypt to get the Israelites out or to get the Hebrew people out. And so by the time they had wandered around in the desert for a while, it says he was 120. Even if he had wanted to, he probably wouldn't have been good to lead something as intense as, as battling through Cana. It would have been a lot for an older man. You know, 40 years in the desert takes its toll. 
And I think the second thing is, as we read here in Numbers 27, that Joseph, Joseph, excuse me, Joshua was a different sort of man than Moses. Moses prayed that it would be someone who wouldn't mess up like him. Someone who would lead them out and bring them in. Joshua had a special demeanor. Joshua had a strong demeanor, which we'll see in the coming weeks to shepherd the people in this difficult time. But as we look at the rest of our text for for the the transition, I just wanted to point that out and and then show you in verse 9 what it says that Joshua had this spirit upon him. It says the spirit of wisdom in verse 9, which, as we know, is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came upon Joshua for the sake of wisdom and leadership. And I've mentioned this before, but if you haven't heard me say it, let me say it again, that in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit had a very different function. It's, it didn't change. God has never changed. But its function and how it relates to us is different. Not everyone had the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. And it's not like modern times or the prophecy in Joel where everyone will have the Spirit and be prophesying and praying. In Acts 2, when the Holy Spirit comes upon all believers. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come upon a person for a specific time, place, or mission. Right? And so here, the Holy Spirit comes upon Joshua when he's commissioned that he would lead the people well. The same thing happens with King Saul. When he becomes the first king of Israel, many years later after this, the Holy Spirit comes upon him. But then when he neglects to do the job God called him to do by defeating the Philistines, and if you remember the story, he saves the the king instead of wiping him out. And The Holy Spirit, actually, God gets mad at Saul and says, I will remove my spirit from you and place it on someone else who will do my will. And then the Holy Spirit comes upon David, and David goes on then to be king. And so in the Old Testament, with a prophet, with a king, with a leader, the Holy Spirit would come upon a person for a time or for a place, for a specific task. And here it has come upon Joshua in the form of wisdom for a specific calling that he would be wise and diligent in his leadership of the Hebrew people. It's an amazing thing to think about. You know, we use this word calling all the time. What are we called to? What are we supposed to do with our life? Joshua had a beautiful fulfillment of calling that he was supposed to be wise in his leadership of the people. Joshua has very, very big shoes to fill. Because as we just read Moses in verses 10 to 12 in in Deuteronomy, it says, there has not been a prophet in Israel who's done these mighty deeds until the New Testament with Jesus. And if you've ever read about it... um, Many scholars equate Jesus, New Testament, New Covenant, to being, the, being like Moses and saving the people. But as far as Moses goes, I want you to look back at verses 10 through 11. It's quite a list that the, the, the author of Deuteronomy gives Moses. It's quite a list. In, well, it's just look at all the things it says. He did all those signs and wonders. The Lord sent him to do in Egypt to Pharaoh. All the plagues, all the miracles, all those different things. If you remember the stories, you know, he brought manna, he gave them food, or was one of the avenues with which God gave food from heaven. He put the staff in the rock and brought water from the rock in the desert. Moses did amazing things. It's quite a list. He was a mighty man. There's no denying it. And yet he prayed for his successor to be better than him. I say all of this because Joshua was an amazing man. And what's 
fantastic, because if you look at this, this is sort of Moses' eulogy, right? This is the end of his life, his death. It's talking about all this. I don't know if you've ever done this. I had a seminary professor do this with me, and I thought it was a lot of fun. If you compare Moses' death passage with everyone else, all the other big heroes in the Old Testament, it's twice, three times as long and more special than any of the other ones. It's really kind of fun. So I went and looked, and, and this is what it says. So Noah, pretty holy guy, right? Pretty, pretty special, pretty important person. This is all it says. All the days of Noah were 950 years, and he died. That's it. Abraham, he lived 175 years, a good old age. Done. Isaac, the days of Isaac were 180 years, and Isaac breathed his last, and he died. David, then David slept with his fathers and was buried in the city of David, and then it tells how long he reigned. He reigned 40 years. Done. Even Solomon, this great wise person, Solomon slept with his fathers and was buried in the city of David, his father. The end. No one has a eulogy like Moses. Even Elijah, who has the coolest death in the Bible, by the way. But it even just says this. It doesn't talk about any of his deeds. It just says, And as they still went on and talked, two chariots of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them, and Elijah went up in a whirlwind into heaven. Now, coolest death in the Bible by far. But it still doesn't list the deeds and the mighty things they did. The point I'm trying to make is that Moses was an amazing man. He did great deeds among God and the people. One of the strongest eulogies in all of the Bible. But there's one thing, as I was reading this, that stuck out to me. Now, we don't know exactly who wrote this. Uh, you know, Moses is credited with writing the first five books of the Bible, including Deuteronomy. But the problem is, is when it has something about someone's death, kind of who finished it, you know? <laughs> How could, and, you know, he's writing all of these things and all of the, the history and all these stories and everything, and Moses is writing it all down, and, and then there's this last chapter. Uh, just so you know from scholars or whatever, they don't really know. They think it was either Joshua or the elders at the time. Um, but they wrote this down, and I think they wrote it very specifically. If you look at verse 5, it's pretty cool. It has all these things listed later, right? His great deeds, how mighty he was. There's never a prophet like him. But when it describes him, it says that he was a servant of the Lord. And that's it. It doesn't say Moses the great liberator. It doesn't say Moses the prophet who did mighty works, who brought water from the rock and saved the Hebrew people. It doesn't say any of those things when it describes him in verse 5. The author just said, And Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in Moab, as the Lord had said. Before all of his other accomplishments, before his great deeds, before the wonders he did, before God and man, it just said very simply, he was a servant of the Lord. I think it's so beautiful. You know, Moses never sets foot in the promised land, but he set a tremendous example for those who would. He set a tremendous example, including Joshua, but a a tremendous example for all those people who would follow after him. And we know from these passages that Joshua was there with him. In Exodus chapter 33, it actually says that in one instance that Joshua refused to leave Moses' side. He learned, this man Joshua learned from the greatest prophet and probably leader in the Old Testament. And if you think about Joshua, he had a harder upbringing than probably any of us. 
He was a refugee without a home, had a history of slavery and oppression in his family, a history of doubt that his family not only just struggled in the desert, but they they actually worshipped a golden calf. They were fearful of the Canaanites. He had no home and no place. Imagine how easy it would be to give up and to doubt if you grew up like that. And yet he had this example of Moses who the people looked at and just saw this was just a holy man who is just a servant of the Lord. And how important it is to honor those people who come before us. You know, I had an exercise this week. Uh, well, I won't go into the details. But I had an exercise this week where I had to write down sort of a testimony of where I came from. And I had, and I had to write down... Um, a short testimony of, of some things in my life that have meant a lot, and especially looking at people who I saw this and who I saw servanthood in. And it was, on one hand, it was really hard. I don't know when the last time you did that was, if you've ever sat down and actually written down how the Lord has moved and worked in your life and thought about the hard things the Lord has taken you through. It's kind of a neat exercise. If you've never done it, I would challenge you to do it. But I was sitting there and I was thinking... It reminded me a lot of this passage. You know, Moses had a bad background. You know, we must remember he was a murderer. He ran and hid. That, as we saw, he messed up, so he never got to see the promised land. Joshua, like I just said, grew up without really a home, with a history of doubt and slavery in his family. These aren't people who came from great stock, as they say, you know. This isn't all this great generational faithfulness and and, and holiness. This is people who have stood up for what is right and what they must do when it comes down to it. And when I was thinking about my family and my background, some of you guys know this, I come from an interesting family, let's say that. But I was reminded that when it comes down to every day, that we must make the right choices. We must listen to those who have gone before us, who set an example as servants of the Lord, We must not think of ourselves any higher than we ought. Moses and Joshua were great leaders, but they were still very much like us. It required prayer, it required discipleship, mentoring, diligence. And when it comes to hard situations that we all must desire to be just like Moses and simply be servants of the Lord, to not worry about great accomplishments or what we're going to achieve and what's going to be written at the end of our life of all of the mighty things we have done and the things we've, you know, saved. Just that we would be servants of God. You know, that's why I picked that Romans 13 passage as our New Testament reading. Because when you read Romans 13, it's basically saying very clearly, hey, um, God is in control. You are not. He's putting... us and others in in, in positions sometimes of submission, sometimes of power, but that God is the one doing it all. And in verse 3, Paul says in Romans, he says, just do what is good. You want to get along? You want to have a nice... Do what is right. And even if it doesn't work out well, you'll have nothing to fear if you do that which is right, because no one will have anything against you. And it may go well, it may go poorly, but if you do what is right then you can stand up as a servant of God. And if it goes poorly, if it doesn't work out, if things get really hard, then we have verses like James, where he says, Consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. 
So let perseverance finish its work in you so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. You know, I look at this guy Moses and I think about my own life and I think about things that are a struggle and things that are hard and I realize that God brought Moses through this as his servant so that he would grow to maturity, so that he would have faith and strength. And I just want to encourage you, don't worry. We worry way too much about this word calling. What are we called to? Right? Especially young people. I've worked with, I've worked with youth a lot. And I've worked with, gosh, how old am I? Is this, this, 15 years I've worked in youth ministry. Either as a volunteer or full-time. I've 15 years I've been working in youth ministry. And it, what's amazing about it is people all the time obsess about this idea of calling. What am I supposed to do with my life? I have to find the dream job, the perfect fit. Everything has to go well. People worry way too much about that. If you don't hear anything else I say tonight, just hear this, that your calling is to serve God. Your calling at the end of your life is that it's not a list of accomplishments, but they say this person was a servant of God. It will look different for each of us. Some of us won't have a penny to give our heirs, and some of us will have a huge fortune to give our heirs, but that doesn't matter. When we die, what matters is that we are servants of the Lord. Moses did what he could, not always perfectly. At the end of it all, he was labeled God's servant, and I think we should all desire the same. A job is a job. You know, a position is a position. A country is a country. A city is a city. It doesn't matter where we are, who we are, what we're doing. What matters is that our calling is to serve God. When it's all said and done, your earthly body is done, may the first thing people say about you, the very first thing that someone says about you when you go to be with your Creator, that you were a servant of the Lord. Please pray with me. Lord, thank you for Moses. Lord, I thank you that he was a servant of you. God, we desire to do mighty things. We desire to see miracles. God, we desire all of the things you have for us, Lord. But Lord, teach us humility. Teach us service. Lord, I pray that we would have the humility of a leader like Moses to pray for those who would come after us, to ask, Lord, in prayer that those who come after us would be better than us and that we would serve as best we can while given the time on this earth. One day when you call us home, Lord, people would look and they would see daughters and sons, servants of the King. We ask this in the matchless name of Jesus Christ. Amen.